Okay, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we began a series dealing with the preparation for death. One of the men in the church, we were having lunch, and he said, why don't you do a series sometime on preparation for death? And I said, all right, well, I'll do that. So we've had two uh, times this month we've met on that subject. This will be the third. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm just going to read the uh, verses 6 through 8 in which Paul talks about his preparation for death. So Paul says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And so we see Paul here at the very end of his life, and he's making preparation for death. Now, I don't know how you think about this. Maybe you don't think about this too much. Maybe you don't want to think about it, but I think you should. You could get caught short like my own dad. So it was a Sunday. Uh, We'd gone to church. Uh, One of our relatives, who was a good bit older than my father, Uh, had a birthday party, so we had a family birthday party for this gentleman. Uh, The evening came, and my sister, who was in the college and career group at our church, had hosted them, and so they'd come to the church, and they were uh, having one of these elimination games, and so if you did certain things, you had to sit down, and my father participated in all of that and cleaned up afterwards, and He and mom went to bed at one end of the house. My sister was in her bedroom on the other end of the house at about 3 o'clock in the morning. My mom said she heard my dad just let out some kind of a ghastly noise. He was gone. He was gone. They called me at my home and said, you know, dad's had a bad heart attack. I jumped in the car and I started to the nearest hospital thinking, well, certainly, you know, my dad's at the hospital there being treated. When I got there, he wasn't there. Well, I didn't rush any further. There was no need to rush. And when I got there, uh, uh, well, there was my mom, my sister, and my dad was laying on the floor beside the bed. The people had come in and tried CPR, but he'd been, he'd been dead for a number of minutes by the time they got there. Uh, our pastor, it's kind of interesting, the pastor, uh, when he came to the church, the pastor was 30. When later on, much later on, when he did my mother's funeral, uh, he was now 65. So he'd been there for over 35 years, and my mom lived to be 95, and this one pastor she had had for a third of her life. Well, this pastor comes to the house. I'm there. My sister's there. My mother's there. And he has one of these great, profound pastoral prayers. You know how those go sometimes? He said this, let's pray. He says, Dear Jesus, help us to believe everything that we know is true. In your name, amen. That was his prayer. That's really the heart of it. This is what, at time of death, 
that we believe. That's our comfort. Uh, I've thought a lot about that prayer through the years. It was right to the point. Now, Paul is talking here about his death. His death's more like my mom's death. Now, my mom lived to be 95, but they told her, uh, you know, things aren't working. And so they would adjust here, and it would work a little better for a while, and then they'd have to adjust here. Finally, she got into the hospital, and she's laying in the hospital bed, and I was there, and the doctor came in, and she says, well, Miss Kins, there isn't anything else we can do for you. And her kidneys were failing, and so my mom went to open her mouth, and the doctor anticipated what she was going to say. She was like the Energizer Bunny. She just didn't want to give up. She says, Miss Kinzer, you're not a candidate for dialysis. Well, my mom said that. She said, well, I guess that's that, huh? And the doctor said, yes, ma'am, that's that. And within a couple months, she was at home with the Lord. She had time. Paul has time. Now, you find that our lives are somewhere between the extremes of my father and my mother's death. Sometimes there's no time. You're not even conscious. You're like my dad. You're asleep, and you die in your sleep. Other times, you you know, like Paul here knows, death's going to come. So when we look at this passage, really, it's really interesting how this is set up. Verse 6 talks about the present, right where Paul's living right now. And then in verse 7, he talks about the past, and it's very clear. He's using a past perfect verb over and over again here. And then in verse 8, he tells us it's about the future. So you can see these things. Now, I think that that's the way we should think and prepare for our death. So as we look at the present in this verse 6, you see that Paul is knowing what's going to happen. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is coming. Now, it's already. It's there. It's not something that's going to be way off. It's pretty close. Now, probably this is in the late summer of this particular year. Because Paul down, as you move down uh, in verse 21, he's giving instructions here to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, come before winter. He's asking to bring some things, but he says, come before winter. Winter is when the sailing season on the Mediterranean was over. People didn't go out and just travel on the Mediterranean because they'd get caught up in the violent storms and there'd be shipwreck. And so if he didn't get there by winter, before winter, um, he wouldn't get there probably to see Paul before Paul died. So Paul's saying here in verse 6, it's now. Uh, It's right now. Now he's talked about being a drink offering So before you had a drink offering in the Old Testament sacrifices, typically the the priest would receive from you or uh, from somebody some kind of an animal. could be a bull if it was a really significant type of sacrifice. 
In most cases, it was just a little lamb. Um, won't, don't want to go into all the characteristics of what it needed to be, but the animal would be butchered, and then the butchered meat would be put on a grill, and this grill of the altar, it would be offered up in various forms of various sacrifices, and oftentimes, as this sacrifice, the final aspect of this sacrifice as it's being roasted, is they would take wine, probably, oh, maybe a pint, something like that, and they would pour it slowly out on this piece of roasted meat. And the idea is, is when this very hot roasted piece of meat underneath, coals burning, all of this, when this wine would hit, it would vaporize. And then the smell of the, the roasting meat with the wine would go up in a cloud and it would be what we call a soothing aroma. And the wine, the drink offering was like, if you could think of it this way, the icing on the cake. It was like the finishing touch of the sacrifice. And this is the idea here that Paul is right now putting the finishing touches on his life as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And that's the way he's thinking of this. Now, I would say to you, we should be thinking about life that way. Is, are we ready? Jesus said, you do not know when I'm going to return. Be ready. Be in watchfulness. So there's not any time for when we should be caught off guard we should be ready if, as Christians at any time that it might be that the Lord would call us home or in this case that you would give your life for the Lord. So Paul sees that his life right at that moment is ready to be offered up to the Lord, to go into his presence. That's the call that should be upon us. Notice what he's saying here that he is going to depart. It's the time. The time for my departure has come. Now, the idea of departure here is a word that's kind of unique, especially if, uh, you know, you're a person that's gone to seminary or Bible college and you've studied Greek. When you study the Greek language, the first thing that they give you is a verb chart. In the verb chart, you begin to learn all the various forms of the verb. And the verb that you always use is the word luo. And so they call it the luo chart. And I won't go through the ones that I can remember. But luo meant to loose. That's the word that's used here, to loose. You had mooring lines where a sea vessel was moored to a dock. Just the last thing that attached that ship to the earth, to the, the port of departure, were these mooring lines. And this word departure is the word where these lines are taken off of the moorings and taken back onto the ship. It's the, the time for his departure. Now, the sense is, when we depart, we voyage. We go from this to this. 
And so Paul doesn't say this is the end. He says this is the departure. I am going from here to there. And that's what he's communicating there. And this is what we need to see and what we need to hold on to. When we die, we will depart from what we're familiar with and we'll go to that place that Christ is familiar with to be with him. That's the language here. So Paul is ready to depart. This this is his sense. It's come. This departure has come. He's on the ship. The men have their hands, as it were, on the ropes. Pretty soon they're going to be cast off, and he will be gone from this world. That's what he's saying. But he's on his way to Christ's world. So we should, in the present, always be ready. That's the key thing as we look in preparation for death. Now, in preparation for death, too, we need to think about what's our life been like? Um, Paul uses three different metaphors here. I've fought the good fight. So you've got something here of the arena. I've finished the course. You have something here that sounds like the Olympics. You have something here, I have kept the faith. I'm not sure that much more than... This is some sense of a legal sense that I have been faithful. But these are the kinds of things that we want to think about as we think about our life. Paul is saying, I have fought the good fight. Now, for him, that just basically means I was called as a Christian and I was put in a position where I was conscripted into being an apostle. And I had my role. So he can say God gave apostles to the church, and then he gave uh, evangelists to the church, he gave pastors and teachers to the church, and then he gave to the church the spirit uh, for the various members to be built up in the body of Christ. Paul had a role, and basically his role to be an apostle. He has fought the good fight of being an apostle, and now that work has come to an end. Now, we would look at our own life and say we've been called to be Christians. What have we done in the sense of what have we done, what are we doing in our calling to be a Christian. Now, a little while ago, uh, we had a lady in this church, and she had been a Sunday school teacher for 50 years. That's pretty faithful. She had been with this for all that period of time, and she felt that it was time for her to pass this responsibility on to somebody else. What a great sense to look back on as a Christian and see what one has done. Now, I can tell you, again, just referring to a mother, that when I was in grade school, vacation Bible schools were two-week affairs. And my mom would 
organize that thing. She would get the teachers. She would get the material. She would get the classrooms lined up. She would make sure everybody had all of the stuff to do their crafts. And my mom would go early and uh, pick kids up that somehow weren't attached to our church and get them there. And when this vacation Bible school was over, we were the last to leave. We'd cleaned everything up, and now mom has taken people back to wherever they came from. We'd go way out of our way to go home to take these little kids. That was my mom. Well, it got to a point in time where my mom couldn't do that. So she kept the nursery. When my mom passed, this couple came over, and they were in their late 20s, and they said, we want to do something for you and for your family. And what do you want to do? We want to come over and straighten out the whole outside of the house, get it all ready. You're going to have company because your mom's uh, uh, death and people visiting. We just want, and I said to my sister, I says, What's the connection? She says, oh. Says, that the wife of this man that's coming, mom held her in her arms in the nursery and kept her right on through until she graduated from the nursery. Went to my mom's funeral. There are people of all ages there. Why? Now, she couldn't do Bible school anymore, but she could do that. Why was she doing it? Well, she was doing it for the Lord. Well, I don't want to go on and on, but my mom, I don't know, I would have thought she would have had cauliflower ear because she was always on the phone and she wasn't talking. People would call up and just talk. I think I've got that disease. That's what happens to me. People are calling all the time. They just want a pastor. A lot of times it's other pastors. They just want another pastor that will listen to them. My mom did that. She was just faithful with the gifts that God had given her. Now, I would just say to you, my mom, and we could look back and say, that was my mom. Mom was faithful. Well, this is the sense that you see here. My mom had fought the good fight. Now, I'm just trying to use illustrations like this. Can you look back and see how you have been a use to the church and to Christ in your life? That's how you fought the good fight. You've done this thing. He's finished the course. Uh, he's, he's been this way all the way to the end, and it's the end, and he is there, and he's going over the finish line. It's, it's done. He knows where he's at in the race, and he's comfortable in his position as he comes to the end. The last thing he says is, I've kept the faith. I'm going to just say that this is tied as a little bit of a transition into the next uh, verse. And, but the idea is that there were many times during Paul's life when there could have been a, a real reason to turn back. There, there's various times when you see Paul is um, 
more aggressive than we might normally think. Remember how he says in his own biography that he was an aggressor of the church? But one time, during the second time that he visited Jerusalem, he was sitting in the, in the temple praying, and God said to him, Paul, you get up and you get out of town. And Paul argues with God and says, well, look, I'm here and I've, I've taken a vow and I've offered sacrifices and I've brought gifts. And God says to him in the vision, you get out of town. They're going to try and put you to death. Well, that was one time. You go to Ephesus and there's this huge upheaval in the city arena over Paul's ministry. And Paul's not there, and the people are saying, don't go in there, they'll tear you apart. What did Paul want to do? I want to go in there and talk to him. <laughs> nope. You get out of here. So they, they took him away from that. Later on, as he's going at the end of the third missionary journey, it says, from one place to the next, on his way to Jerusalem, all he heard was, chains in imprisonment and persecution awaits you. That's what he was told. Paul's life was a life that you would have said, if, if, if he would just back off, if he would just give it a rest, if he wouldn't be so aggressive, uh, but Paul wasn't that way. He knew his role, and he kept to that role right to the end. What is yours? What is your calling? Some of you have gifts. You're using your gifts. Continue to use your gifts. Some of you may have let your gifts kind of uh, go into a resting mode. And you might look and say, well, you know, I'm really not doing that much to contribute right now. Well, there's plenty of places that you can contribute in the life of other Christians and in the life of the church in the picture of the body of Christ as everybody is making their contribution for the building up of the body of Christ. It's not merely for Paul. It's for us to finish this well. Can we look back if we're preparing for death? Can we look back at our life and say, I have used my life in a way to build up the kingdom of Christ, to advance the kingdom of Christ, to build Christ into other people's lives? Uh, probably most of you all would be harder on yourself than I would be. I would not ask you to be hard, judgmental, critical, or legalistic with yourself, but be real. Look at your life and realize if your life's not done, then your service isn't done. And there's plenty of opportunity to serve. You look here at the last and it talks about the future. Paul's now in verse 8 talking about as he looks beyond death. He says, there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness and the Lord's going to give me this. He's the righteous judge. He's going to award it. But notice how he reels us all in, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, Paul's talking about the beginning of his life in Christ, and he's looking at the end of his life in Christ. And I think for us, as we 
I don't want to say too much about this. I'm going to preach Sunday on Paul's conversion. Now, today we're looking at Paul's dying. But Paul's living from the time of his conversion to the time of his death is a focus on the vision of Christ that he saw on the Damascus Road. He's talking about this appearing here, and he's talking about this righteous judge here. Paul came to that Damascus experience trusting in his own righteousness, trusting in his own merit, trusting in his own good works. And he was a very proud individual. But when he saw Christ in glory and when Christ spoke to him and said, you are persecuting me, he realized then over the next three days of blindness and fasting, he realized how wrong he had been about God and about righteousness. And he saw Jesus glorified. And when he realized this over time, he realized that not only did he see Jesus glorified in that vision, but Jesus was a man just like he was a man. And as God had glorified Jesus, God was going to glorify him. And this is why he says at the end of this, this is true not only for me, but for all those who love is appearing. John in 1 John 2.2 2 says the exact same thing. He says, little children, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know this, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is at his appearing. The promise to us is, is that this crown of righteousness is Christ's righteousness that's going to be ours. We are going to be faithful. He is going to be perfect. And the perfections that he has acquired are going to be given to us because we are faithful in Christ. Now, I just close and say this. We've got a grand life here. I think uh, I like one of the old German philosophers who said these are the worst of times and the best of times. I think we can all agree with that. But I can tell you that it is the most opportune time for you and me to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord right now. Think back about our service to the Lord and how we can serve him now. And serve the Lord now knowing that when this life ends, we're going to be with him in a place that is going to just radiate with his righteousness and there is going to be the Lord it says he is going to do it it doesn't say he's going to delegate it to the elders it doesn't say he's going to delegate it to the deacons it says he's going to award us this crown of righteousness that's what we should aspire for that's what we should anticipate and that in our faith is what we should be secure in that's what awaits us the present lived in light of the past. The present lived in light of the future. Preparation for leaving this life to be with Christ. Well, let's pray. Now, Father, we ask your blessing as we look at these things. They're just very straightforward. 
They're not overly complex. They're just true. And so help us to see this is your son, Jesus Christ, that you have brought into our lives. Because you brought Jesus Christ into our lives through him, you will bring us into your life in glory. Thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you all.